Do you believe in angels? Yes! Good morning, and welcome to episode 139 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach, California, is Sam Miller. Hello, Sam. Hi, Ben. Uh, our guest tonight. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I have to. Sorry. I have to have a. I have to get a. I have to get a drink of water. I'm going to awkwardly reach around. Uh, uh. Okay. Okay. Uh, our guest tonight. That was a State of the Union joke, guys. Uh, I didn't watch it. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like uh, a lot of people will get it. They won't think it's funny, uh, but they will get it. Okay. Um, our guest tonight, cracking jokes about the State of the Union, is Sam Miller. Uh, it's been a while since it's just been the two of us talking about things. But just like old times, we will be talking about things tonight because we're talking about the Angels, and you wrote the Angels chapter. Yeah. Uh, so we will talk to you about the Angels, and then Pete Barrett talked to Jeff Fletcher of the Orange County Register also about the Angels. Uh, So we have talked about the Angels quite a bit on this podcast, probably because you used to be uh, the Angels writer for the Orange County Register, and you live in the Angels area and think about the Angels a lot, and they've done things that have been worth talking about, like signing Josh Hamilton and not signing Zach Greinke. Uh, So we may go over some things that we've touched on before but I guess I what what strikes me about the current incarnation of the angels is that when I think about the angels I feel like I still think about uh, kind of the classic Mike Sosha model of the angels which doesn't really fit the team anymore this is I mean it, it seems like it used to be a more of a pitching and defense based team uh, with a lot of sort of speed and positional flexibility. And now it's just kind of a an overpowering offense. It was the, the best offense in the league last year after adjusting for the ballpark. It is projected to be the best uh, offense in the league or in either league this year. Um, do you think that, I guess, did, did Mike Sosha sort of have a style of managing that fit the, the old pitching and defense, good bullpen, angels, I guess better than than the offensive juggernaut angels, do you think? Or does it matter? Well, um, first off, I, I think that uh, it's not totally um, removed from that idea that you have. I mean, they, they also led uh, all of baseball or uh, at least the American League in base running runs last year. They also, depending on your metric, had the best or possibly second or maybe third best defense in baseball last year. So it is still a, uh, a team that takes a lot of extra bases, uh, that is very aggressive, puts pressure on the defense, and that um, at least tries to feel their positions well. There have been years where I think that they have thought they were better defensively than they were, but right now they are a very strong defensive team. Um, and... You know, Socha has managed a lot of different types of teams. It really has never been uh, the case that he's uh, been a one, uh, you know, one type of manager. In 2009, uh, they had an offense that was the best in the league. And unlike this team, that team really had uh, 
almost no defense. It might have been 2010. I think it was 2009 because I think it was it was the last year they made the playoffs. They had a, a terrible defensive team, um, one of the worst, uh, very slow, not a lot of um, action on the base pads. Um, and, um, you know, he sort of said at the time, he talked about how he's always wanted to have big hitters. You can do a lot more when you have the option of um, getting a home run than when you don't have the option. It's just that when he was coming up, he was sort of, dealt a particular type of squad uh, that had largely been promoted uh, through the organization. And it was a squad that had a lot of kind of guys who you would think of as either line drive hitters or grinders or whatever you want to use to describe them. Um, So I don't think that he has a a real strong preference. As for his particular style, um, he does kind of like to do some of the small ball stuff, uh, but it's he doesn't really um, let it intrude on the game all all as much as maybe the caricature of him is. I mean, he's perfectly happy uh, when he's in the middle of the order to let the offense do what it wants. Um, and, you know, he's got right now, he's he's got a lineup that's very deep. But um, when you get lower in the lineup, it's, it's sort of deep with guys like Ibar, Borges, Kayaspo. Uh, who aren't really power hitters. They're more kind of manufactured runs hitters. And so his style fits perfectly well down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I also, when I think of the the Angels that made the playoffs every year, I think of a team with a lot of young talent and a good farm system and a lot of prospects that they were very hesitant to surrender in trades. And now the Angels have possibly the worst farm system of any team. How did that happen? How did it get to be this way? And at what point do you think it will start to affect the major league team? Well, part, partly what happened is that they had a, a really bad draft in 2010. Uh, that was the year that Lackey and Guerrero and Figgins all left. Uh, and so they were loaded with compensation picks, and they basically whiffed on the entire draft. Uh, so that's one part of it. Um, one part of it is that they've been extremely aggressive in the last two years of trying in trying to catch up to the Rangers, um, and so they've traded a lot of talent away. Um, last year they traded uh, Don Roach and um, Alexi Amarista for Frieri. They traded three pretty good prospects for Granke. Um, they traded a lot of prospects away for Dan Heron in the middle of 2010 season, including Tyler Skaggs and Pat Corbin. Um, they traded, uh, you know, a young guy for Alberta Kiaspo. So they've, they've really looked at the farm system lately as currency to, uh, to upgrade midseason and to upgrade with veterans. Um, and part of it is that uh, in the last two years, I guess uh, really just last year, uh, they signed Albert Pools and C.J. Wilson, didn't get to pick until something like 104th uh, in the draft. They'll have a sort of similar situation this year because they signed Josh Hamilton. So they haven't really been um, uh, infusing the system with talent through the draft. And, you know, even before that, they were generally drafting toward the bottom of the first round. They have a they, they always had a very high upside mentality and that uh, worked well. For some years, and it didn't work well some years because guys with high upside tend to have uh, a lot of downside. They've really switched an organizational mindset in the last two years to drafting almost all college guys, drafting as close to the big leagues as they can. 
Uh, and it's not, I don't think it's a strategy that has worked quite as well as they'd hoped. I, I think that they realize that they have a, an extremely barren system from about high A to triple A. And they're trying to get guys there as quickly as possible. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of how well it's gone so far. But the good news for them is that it really doesn't matter. I think that um, what the Angels have done that is interesting and fascinating and probably deserves a look is that um, they've really locked in their entire team mm -hmm. for the next three years. And you sometimes see teams that are like, um, you know, young teams that can sign their guys like, you know, like the, the classic is the John Hart Indians where you sign your guys when they have uh, when they're pre free agency to extensions. Um, but the Angels have been signing their guys to extensions who are kind of like mid career players. Um, and since Jerry DePoto took over, he signed Weaver to an extension, a long extension, Howie Kendrick, Eric Ibar, Kaiaspo, uh, Chris Iannetta to extensions. Uh, and between those guys and Albert Pujols' long contract and Josh Hamilton's long contract and Borges, Trout, and Trumbo being under team control, the, the, um, the current depth chart is, I believe, completely locked up through 2015, uh, except for third base, where Kayaspo is only through 2014, uh, and that's probably because their best prospect is third baseman. Um, they also have uh, Weaver locked up and, and C.J. Wilson locked up. So it's sort of like the situation where um, you would obviously you would love to have that depth in the farm system. I think they would really love to have more guys they could trade because they don't have a very playoff-ready rotation, and they're gonna. I think they're gonna be wishing they could trade for somebody at the trade deadline. So a farm system that is better would be better. But there's really almost no team in baseball that needs that farm system imminently, quite like the Angels. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that um, those, those two sort of decisions went in tandem. They knew that they had most of their team locked up so they could trade their farm system for the pieces they needed. And they knew they were tra trading the pieces in the farm system. Uh, so they locked up the rest of the guys. Uh, it was kind of, a, I think, a, a, a consistent um, team building philosophy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those long-term contracts are still early on in the contract, in the, the productive part of the contract. So I guess you don't have the same concern that you would with, say, the Yankees who have a bunch of long-term contracts, but they're approaching the end of those contracts when you're not getting a lot out of those players anymore. Hamilton's yeah, the, is just starting, and Pujols is in his second year, and and it's it's not that big a concern yet. Yeah, and you know the, a lot of the guys are. It's not a, it's not a particularly old team, right? So I think that they're they they have a couple deals that are long term troubling. Um, Pujols, Hamilton, probably Wilson, uh, and you know maybe Weaver, but the Ibar and Kendrick and Kiasco and Ionetta deals are all, um, you know, who, you know, who cares that they're, they're, they're good deals. They're actually really, I think the Ibar and Kendrick deals in particular are really good deals. Uh, and then you have Trout and Borges and Trumbo who are pre-arb. So, you know, it actually balances out. They'll, um, the cost will catch up to them, but really not until about 2015, 2016. So they have a, a pretty nice window right now. Um, and that gives them three years to restock. And I don't know how they'll do that. It's not hard to restock when you're giving up draft picks every year, and when you don't really, um, you're not you're not going to be shedding anything at the trade deadline. But they they do have three years to sort of figure out a way to restock that farm system before they really need it. It's a nice window they have now. Mm -hmm. um, Albert Pujols, uh, I feel has almost 
kind of been overshadowed a bit by the Mike Trout mania and the Hamilton signing. If you look at the wins above replacement player leaderboards in the Pocota projections, you will see Albert Pujols at the very top of that list uh, projected to, to be worth seven wins, which he has not been worth since 2010. Uh Do you think that there are human beings who still think of Albert Pujols that way as the the most valuable player in baseball? And is there reason to, or or do you think that there's a a good chance that he will at least briefly return to kind of his prime production, or is it just a a straight downhill slope from here? I don't know. It's, it's usually, it's not a straight downhill slope. I was reading a thing that Colin wrote about Pakoda a few years ago, and he mentioned, uh, like as an anecdote, uh, he quoted this Ron Chandler piece from a few years ago where uh, Chandler's projection system had Albert uh, uh, projected to hit like 42 home runs. And he said, but you know, he's, he's increased his, his home runs each of the last three years. I don't see any reason that that trend won't keep going up. So Chandler just adjusted it up to 50 because that made more sense to him. And Colin said, you know, he should have he should have stuck with the the system. He ended up hitting 41 the next year. And normally that's the way it goes. These trends are misleading. And usually, um, usually you should bet on kind of something in the middle. And so right now, Albert Pujols is in the exact opposite situation. He's he hit 47, then 42, then 37, then 30. His OPS was 1114, then 1101, then 1000, then 900, then 850. Uh, so you see this very clear trend, mm-hmm. and it is almost impossible as a human to look at that trend and not project that trend. You see the arrow at the end of the line, and it's moving in a direction. Uh, so I think for that reason, there probably aren't a lot of humans who look at him and see the MVP front runner. I think that there's enough uh, there's enough recent success. And even last year, he was good enough, especially for about three months, that uh, you could see him as an MVP candidate. Um, but, like, I was having this conversation with someone recently about who the best player in baseball is, and I didn't name Pujols until, like, maybe sixth or seventh. Um, and I think that that's probably the common feeling around here. There's There was definitely a sense of disappointment last year um, because not only did he have that really, really, like, loud, invisible bad two months to start it but he uh after he got hot and was really good he kind of had a, a, a pretty sort of disappointing september when the angels were trying to hang in there and um it's you know it's 10 years and so people don't like people don't see albert Pujols and evaluate 2013 just on on 2013's merits they're kind of thinking ah oh, it's nine more years it's a long time and it weighs on you um i don't get the sense that um I think that I think if you pulled Angels fans, that you would certainly get about an 80%, maybe higher, maybe 100% ratio of a rate of people saying that Trout is the best player on the team. Um, I mean, Pujols is still very good, uh, but there is a, 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 a sort of whiff of disappointment about him already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I still think sixth or seventh best player in baseball. I mean, he's still very good. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is a, a decent chance that 2012 will turn out to be Mike Trout's career year? Yeah, I definitely think there's a decent chance. I mean, I don't uh, – who – yeah, sure. I mean, it, it was a 10-win season. Uh, and – well, okay, I should actually I, – I don't have the exact uh, data in front of me, but I remember looking at it in um, July when I was writing about him, 
and um, I was actually looking at guys who had had, um, you know, the basically like the the, the eight best guys ever mm-hmm. uh, at age twenty or whatever. Um, and I was actually expecting more of them to have not topped it. And in fact, I, almost all of them did. Um, anyway, th- I don't have, I can't speak intelligently about this because I don't have any of the information in front of me and I don't even remember what I looked at. But basically, it's not, it's not, uh, the, the history seems to suggest that, they, that these guys usually have one year or two years that are comparable. Um, and Trout might, but. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it's a 10-win season. I think that it's always smart to bet against another 10-win season from anybody, unless he's got three or four of them mm-hmm. under his belt. Um, I would bet that he has... I mean, if I had to bet on who the best player in baseball is going to be over the next 15 or 20 years, I I'm, I still might pick him. Um, and that would make him, you know, a 100-win player, basically, in his career. But will he ever have another 10-win season? I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. I wonder if... The speed's gonna go. I mean, the speed's gonna go. Mm-hmm. He he can't. He he'll get more power. I think he'll always have the hit tool. But I just he's he's he runs like an optical illusion that that you can't imagine something that big moving that fast. And I just don't think that he's gonna be able to run that well, even when he's 23, 24. I think that the speed's gonna start getting more human. He'll always be fast, and he might be more. He might sort of get baseball speed. Uh, as he gets a little bit more experience, but I just don't think he'll be this impossibly fast forever, and that's a big part of his season. I mean, you don't have a 380 some BABIP without that speed. And uh, what did he? He stole 40 bases and he got caught something like four times. And his his defense, uh, depending on your metric, was like uh, one of the two or three best. Uh, defensive seasons last year, and so all those little things I think will whittle away as he gets a little. Um, as he gets a little slower. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that will do to sort of the, the popular perception of Mike Trout if he settles in as as a six-win player, let's say, for, for the foreseeable future. Because we are kind of conditioned to think of players getting better at Mike Trout's age. We don't expect to see their best almost immediately. Uh, and maybe the expectations were set unrealistically high by by what could have been his best season right off the bat. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think there will be um, there will be an adjustment period where we will be disappointed in him at some point uh, in his career. It happens to everybody. Um, no matter how good you are, people find reasons to be disappointed by you. Uh, and there will be some period of time where people are disappointed by Trout's development. But um, but I guess the best precedent for him um, is is Alex Rodriguez, and it and Alex Rodriguez uh, was incredible throughout his. I mean, he didn't have a great sophomore season. Well, it wasn't technically a sophomore season, but after his amazing age twenty season, he had kind of an like a pretty good age twenty one season, uh, and then he was a superstar after that. So that's I guess the precedent that Trout's hoping for. The precedent that maybe he's that you're talking about is basically Al Kaline, who uh, had maybe the best age twenty season ever before Trout. It was either K-Liner or Alex Rodriguez. And people think of K-Line as one of the greats, but they don't think of him as like as Mickey Mantle or, or Willie Mays, uh, or even as Alex Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think Jared Weaver is? Uh, he is he's been a top five Cy Young finisher now for three years in a row. Do you think of him as as one of the five best 
pitchers in the American League? Do you look at his strikeout rates and the decline over the past couple seasons and worry about that? What What do you think Weaver would be if he pitched in Yankee Stadium, for instance? It's hard to know how much to, to separate the, the pitcher from his environment because even though Weaver clearly benefits from his home ballpark and he clearly benefits from his defense, um, I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that he's not an agent in that, that uh, he doesn't sort of to some degree to some degree craft his game to that defense in that ballpark. Um, but, I, don't, I mean, he, he, he really does... Uh, this is not a one-year thing. This is three years now in a row where if you look at his uh, his ERA, he's a top three or four or five pitcher. He's been in the top five in Cy Young um, three years in a row, uh, even though one year he was 13 and 12. So, you know, he, he managed to uh, get Cy Young votes even though he didn't have the wins. Um, and I think that I was more convinced it was an illusion early on and at this point I think he's a he's sort of a riddle um, but he's probably real I don't it's kind of the the sort of weird thing about baseball is that just around the time that you accept a guy like Weaver is the real deal he then hits a genuine decline because um, very few pitchers stay at this level permanently mm-hmm. uh, they usually have um, you know a it lasts a year or two or three or five, but at some point, you know, his career kind of tips and he goes down the other way. So um, I might kind of be accepting that Weaver is, is real at this point, um, but not necessarily think that it's going to keep going forever. Mm-hmm. I think he was probably, I think that I probably thought he was best in 2011 uh, even though he had the better peripherals in 2010. Um, and I think that he was not quite as good last year. Mm-hmm. He was certainly less durable last year, or at least pitched a lot fewer innings. He did. I'm trying to, I don't even remember why that was. I think he just, he went on the, I think he just went on the DL once for one thing. I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. He made 30 starts, so he wasn't seriously hurt. He just kind of, didn't pitch as much. Um, okay, so we've we've talked, I think, for a, an appropriate length of time about the Angels. Uh, Pakoda sees the Angels as a 90-win team, finishing three wins ahead of the Rangers. What do you think? Um, uh, yeah, I think I, I think I like them a little bit more than that. I would I like the Rangers a little bit more than that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that. They're my um, slight favorite in the West, and I'd put them around 93 or 94 wins, and it wouldn't totally shock me if they were the only 100-win team in baseball. I thought they were um, – I'm still not convinced they weren't the best team in baseball last year uh, and that they just didn't win <laughs> as many games as they could have. Uh, and I, it actually wouldn't surprise me if – they had regression in a lot of places and were not quite as good a team, but had a little bit more luck here and there and um, and managed to win. I mean, they were really close to winning the division last year. They were, I think, five games worse than the best record in the in the American League. Um, and um, they got better. I think they got better. 
So, do you think that their their back of the rotation, as weak as it is, could replace what they got out of the starters they lost this winter? Because we've talked before about how they lost Dan Heron, but Dan Heron wasn't all that good last season, so it, it's not really replacing prime Dan Heron. It's replacing right. Dan Heron having a down year. Uh, yeah. Do you think that they can get what they lost out of Hanson and Vargas and Blanton? I think they can get what they lost. I think they'll be similarly dissatisfied with it. I think it's a it's a it's probably a reasonable regular season rotation, and it's still hard for me to imagine that they take it into the playoffs as is. All right, we're done. Uh, after the intro, Pete talks to Jeff Fletcher from the Orange County Register. It may still be winter, but baseball prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Joining us from Tempe, Arizona is Jeff Fletcher, who covers the Angels for the Orange County Register. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, thanks for having me. Pitchers and catchers reported yesterday, besides the weather, what are you looking forward to most about camp? Uh, well, actually, as for the weather, it's been pretty cold here. There was frost on the ground this morning, and guys complaining about having to scrape their cars. But uh, otherwise, I think it's uh, well interesting to see how Ryan Madsen is going to do and how he's recovering from uh, Tommy John surgery. It's a, it's a big thing for the Angels to, uh, to have him as their closer. That's going to make a big difference. And uh, otherwise, I think that uh, we want to see Tommy Hansen, if, uh, if he's really getting back some velocity, if he can kind of rediscover his form. And then, uh, you know, with Joe Blanton and Jason Vargas, those are uh, two other important additions to their rotation. So it's uh, really, there's no question the Angels are going to score enough runs and play good enough defense. The question is going to be the pitching. Jeff, I had a chance to speak with Richard Durrett, who covers the Rangers for ESPN Dallas last night. And in his opinion, the Angels lost the AL West in the first weeks of the season last year, but it's not like they had a bad spring training. So, do they change anything this year, or was that just a fluke? Well, you know, we've already been asking about that, and they seem to be kind of at a loss because they played very well in spring training, and uh, then they came out when the season started, and they, they didn't do very well. So, I don't think there's any correlation to how things go in spring training. I think, you know, your your team is going to have ups and downs all throughout the year, and, you know, if they'd had that same stretch in June, uh, they still would have ended up with the same record, and we, we still would have been, we wouldn't have had an answer for, uh, for why it happened then either. Right. Now, Josh Hamilton, one of the big acquisitions of the offseason, given his drug history and things we've heard about Hamilton in the past, is there talk of a sponsor? Uh, he is going to have an accountability coach, uh, that uh, the Angels have hired, and he's going to be around the ballpark with Josh all the time and on the road, and uh, they're going to basically maintain the same program he had in Texas. There was some speculation at the end of last season that he might have quit on the team a little bit, uh, not played completely through the end of the year, even when the Rangers were in a pennant race. Uh, what do you think Hamilton's attitude is going to be like coming in with a, a fresh start in L.A.? Well, I think it's kind of ridiculous to suggest that he quit on the team. I mean, he, he didn't play very well, but, you know, he had some things going on that uh, he probably wasn't physically at his, his peak performance, and uh, that makes things look bad. And then when you when you start to uh, 
to hit poorly and you start to press, then you kind of it multiplies on itself and you start swinging at more bad pitches and then it looks even worse. I think that's probably just what happened. But uh, I expect him to have, you know, the same attitude that he always has and to go out and have his normal year. He may not hit quite as many homers just because of changing his ballpark, but uh, he's still young enough and uh, healthy enough that I wouldn't expect too much of a decline from uh, what we are used to seeing from him. We're talking Angels baseball on the squeeze, a recurring segment of the Effectively Wild podcast with Jeff Fletcher. Uh, Jeff, Mike Trout, obviously phenomenal season last year. Do you think it helps him that he has other guys on his team like Pujols and Hamilton who are going to be deflecting a little bit of the attention away from a 21-year-old? Um, you know, I don't really think it makes a difference. I mean, when you're standing in the back box, it doesn't matter how much quote-unquote attention you're getting. It just matters, you know, how good you are and how much work you've put in. So I think he's still going to be getting lots of attention because obviously everybody knows about Pujols and Hamilton, and there's still going to be lots of people that are going to want to have some of Mike Trout's time, you know, if he goes into different ballparks. And, and uh, I think it's going to be up to him to, to manage that so he still gets his work in. And there's been no evidence so far that he's the kind of guy that will let that get in the way. So you think it, it must have more of an impact in the lineup in terms of the pitches he's going to see? Because you got uh, Pujols and Hamilton hitting behind him. You don't, you don't want to put Trout on base. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that pitchers are going to pitch him the way they feel like they have the best chance to get him out. I don't think anybody is really pitching around uh, around too many guys. I mean, because if, if you do put him on base, then he's still second, and you're looking at, you know, uh, having Eric Ibar up there and Albert Pujols and Josh Hamilton. So it's hard to say what really the impact is going to be. I'm sure that the guys will all help each other. Probably the biggest impact will be off the field of how they, you know, can kind of talk to each other and help each other through things that way than, than actually the pitches they're going to see. From what you've seen and what you've heard, what kind of camp does Mike Sosha like to run? Oh, I think it's pretty, uh, they, they get to work. They, they, uh, it's a very business-like camp, and uh, especially the catchers I know with Mike Sosha. He takes a big interest in them, and they have maybe more of a workload than, than catchers on other teams. But uh, I think Sosha is a pretty serious guy about fundamentals, and I think that they're going to definitely be uh, hitting those things as hard as anybody else. Angels look great on paper as of now. They look great on paper last year, too. How do you see the AL West shaping up this season, and where do the Angels fit in? Well, I think the Angels are probably uh, the Angels, Rangers, and A's. I could see any of those teams going anywhere from about uh, 85 to 95 wins, and uh, it's just going to be a matter of who stays the healthiest and, and who gets the, uh, the surprising performances from the uh, from somebody that's kind of a question mark, like for, for Tommy Hansen would be a guy for the Angels. Uh, you know, I, it's hard to really say, you know, which team is going to end up winning it because there's so many things that are going to happen over the next seven months that we don't know, but I think that the Angels are good enough to, to be there if things fall right for them. Awesome. Jeff Fletcher, who covers the Angels for the Orange County Register, thank you so much for joining us tonight. All right, thanks for having me.